Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Good morning. For the past three weeks, I've been teaching this series, The Epic Christmas Story. I love Christmas because as we call to remembrance what God the Father set in motion, what God the Father made possible, for me, there's nothing like the Christmas season. When I'm reminded of what the Lord does and what He did, it helps me keep everything in perspective, especially during a busy time. When I started this series three weeks ago, I began with God's plan. What was that plan? God desired a family. That's why Adam and Eve were made in His image. Male and female, He made them. God wanted a family that reflect Himself. Then last week, I continued by emphasizing God's promise, the epic promise. How the Lord would send a Savior who would restore and preserve God's family, that which was lost in the garden when Eve and then Adam ate of the forbidden fruit. It had a rippling effect that caused a divide, caused a separation between God and man. Any of you, if you've ever been estranged from your children, you know the pain in your heart when the relationship just isn't what it needs to be, what you desire it to be, and what it should be. And when that divide called sin came into play, when death then began to move across and affect every part of what God had created, including man, his heart was broken. And so God then wanted to have a plan and a promise that would restore that which was lost. A Savior. He would preserve as well as restore His family. And then once that restoration was complete, He would have a family that would continue to do what the Savior Jesus did. Do you know God made possible because of the cross for us to become not only family, but his spiritual sons and daughters. Think about that. Now, Jesus came right from the throne and took on human form. But the Bible says humanity, because of Jesus, we were grafted in. We were adopted. We were made joint heirs, and God the Father looks on us with the same love that he looks when he sees his son Jesus. Honestly, that's hard to fathom in my human mind. For God to love us that much. It's the only reason why God would send his only son in the form of man. To redeem and restore that which was broken. That honestly is love in action. And so with this, understanding what Jesus began 2,000 years ago, God has actually given a mandate that He wants us to continue the family business. Think of it that way. Jesus laid the groundwork. Everything the Father instructed Him to do, He did it. Remember, He said, the words I speak are not my own, but the words of He who sent me. The, the deeds that I do are not my own, but the deeds of He who sent me. So the CEO of the company was giving the instructions. 
the founder and the president, there are three, but they're one, was laying out what would be dictated so that this epic Christmas story could be fulfilled. And so now, because of the cross, and we're going to look at it more in depth this morning, because of what Jesus did, and it all began in Bethlehem. We now have been empowered. We now have been endowed with a divine command, but also divine resources to continue the work Jesus began. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 38. That's going to be our text this morning. Dr. Luke writes these words. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Holy Spirit, I love you. I'll be your mouth, but Lord, you be the power. You be the glory. You be the majesty. I ask you to move on hearts and minds. May we never be the same, including myself, when you're done with us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just as Jesus fulfilled the Father's will, we as his spiritual sons and daughters, as I mentioned a moment ago, are called and commanded to do the same. What is that? To fulfill the epic promise and the epic purpose that God mandated. How many of you believe God is a God of purpose? God doesn't do anything by accident. Whoops, look at what I just created, man and, and woman. Creation, you, none of you are an accident. I know some people, they feel like if they've been abandoned in life, if they've been abused in life, Maybe some have never known their biological fathers or mothers, and they feel like they have the gift and breath of life by accident. I'm here to tell you, there are times when man doesn't plan for things, but God always knows. He always prepares. And if you are here in this auditorium, and those of you who are watching online, if you are hearing my words, I'm telling you, your life was created on purpose. There is a purpose. You were not accidental. God intended you. Just like he intended his son. Why? Because God is the God of purpose. The promise of Messiah. Do you know that was on purpose? I brought out in my first week that God never has a plan B. And that's biblical. Why? Because plan A always works. If you need a backup plan, that means something failed. And you have to institute a fail-safe. Something that will continue and get it done in spite of the mishap. God never has mishaps. We may. But God always knows those in advance as well. And is already prepared for our lives, even when we choose unwisely. Why? Because He is a loving Father, and just as we as parents guide our children in their day-to-day activities, in their future, in, in developing their abilities, God the Father does the same for us. He loves us. Look at the person next to you and say, God loves you. Tell them. Authenticate it. God loves you. Do you know the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? That was also on purpose. 
It wasn't an accident. God knew what was necessary even before he created the heavens and the earth. He knew a redeemer would be necessary. Why? Because created things break. The creator will never break. He's unbreakable. But created things break. So he knew he would have to institute even after forming man from the dirt of the earth and then woman Eve from the rib of Adam he knew there would need to be provision so that that which could break would eventually become like God himself, unbreakable. That's a powerful thought. When my new book comes out next year, you can read it. I'm serious. The whole thing is about God's plan. I'm excited. As we continue this series now today, the final week, we need to understand that the reason God's purpose is possible, even for our lives, becoming His continuation of the epic purpose, continuing what Jesus began in the way of bringing hope and encouragement, bringing life to others, using our abilities that we've been given divinely for a divine purpose as well as our day-to-day -day living. The reason we know the continuation of what Jesus Christ began 2,000 years ago is possible is because of, first, His anointing. That's a word that's used both in religious circles and also political circles. That word, anointing. Anointing. You need to really understand the depth of that word to appreciate what it really means and how it's applicable not only during the ministry of Jesus, but to all of us, his anointing. This word anointing is defined as legal authoritative appointment. It is a legal authoritative appointment to fulfill a specific task. In the political systems, you have individuals, a minister of defense, minister of relations. There's nothing Christian about it, even though it's using a term that is very familiar to the Judeo-Christian principles. And with those positions, they are also given an authority to enact legally whatever is necessary to achieve the purpose of that position. The word Christ is not the last name of Jesus. The word Messiah is not his last name. They are titles. Christ, defined from Greek to English, means anointing. Jesus, the anointed, the one who has legal authoritative appointment to fulfill, in this case, the will of God the Father. He was given all that was necessary in his human form to get the job done. His anointing, his office, his calling. A lot of times we devalue what Jesus walked through. We feel, well, because he was God, of course he's not going to fail. Well, God doesn't fail, but the Bible says he was tempted, Jesus, in every way like us, yet without sin. 
He had to sleep just like you and I. He had to eat, receive nutrition and hydration just like you and I. One of the attributes of God is omnipresence. But when Jesus took on human form, he lost his omni-ability for 33 and one-half years. God didn't, but he was, yes, son of God, but also son of man. So he was limited to one location for those 33 and one-half years. And he was also dependent upon the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, a person, not a force. Never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. It's God, He, the Holy Spirit. He had to depend on the Holy Spirit just as much as all of us. When He would lay hands on the sick, He was trusting because I'm doing the work the Father told me to fulfill. He had to exercise faith just like you. Have you ever prayed for someone who's sick? Laid hands on them, anointed them with oil. Sometimes there's like a little inner voice with some that say, oh, I hope this works. Jesus had to trust that when he would pray for people to be healed, delivered, even when he stood before the tomb of Lazarus and called him back from the dead, he had to trust the Holy Spirit was going to show up and honor what the Father had commanded him to do. So he had to trust just like you and I. When he went to the cross... Scripture speaks about his obedience, even the death on the cross. He had to trust that once his life left his body, once he descended into paradise, the bosom of Abraham, the holding place for the saints until Messiah would come, he had to have faith that God the Father, my Father, is going to allow me to descend into the lower depths, to preach to the saints of old who are still waiting for the Messiah. Now, here's something that I encourage you to challenge me on this and go into Scripture. You'll learn in the process of doing so. All of the Old Testament saints from Adam all the way up until Jesus was resurrected from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, none of those saints went to heaven. They went to the holding place. Elisha, Elijah, the chariot of fire, went up into the heavens, but he was taken to that holding place. Moses, the meekest man Jesus referred to him, ever to walk the face of the earth. That shows you the kind of man Moses was. Until Jesus came and sacrificed, there was no entrance into heaven. There was no way... As we have now under the new covenant, Paul says in Thessalonians, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But before that, absent from the body, present in paradise. Remember Jesus saying to the thief on the cross, one cursed him and mocked him. The other cried out for mercy and forgiveness. And Jesus said to the thief who cried out for mercy, today you will be with me, not in heaven, paradise, paradise. Jesus had to trust the Father that once his body had been sacrificed, the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, then death consumed him. His remains were laid in a grave, but his spirit and soul went down into paradise. Not hell. Jesus did not go to hell. That's nowhere in Scripture. 
He descended into the paradise. And Paul says in his epistle to the Ephesian church that he preached to those who were held in captivity. Once Jesus arrived there, he had to trust that the Holy Spirit and God the Father would resurrect him from the dead. Lazarus had been resurrected only to die another day. But Jesus would be resurrected never to be touched by death again. Conquering death not only, obviously, in his own sacrifice, but for all of humanity. Every effect of sin was conquered at the cross. And then, just as Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus was waiting for the Father to say, My son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, come forth. All of hell fortified that day, but they could not stop the word or the will of God the Father. Can you imagine? Scripture says there was an earthquake. And the dead were given up, the righteous who would wait. Their spirits, not their bodies, their spirits. Scripture says in the gospel, were seen walking the streets until Jesus ascended. Then they ascended their spirit and soul with Jesus, but Jesus ascended spirit, soul, and body. But Jesus had to trust. He had never walked that road. So in every way, just as we need to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to honor our obedience, honor our prayers, Jesus had to do that. And because he had this anointing from on high, it was the anointing that accompanied his position of ministry that made all things possible. And it's that same anointing that Jesus said, if you believe, all things are possible. The same thing that Jesus said, greater works than me you will do if you believe. His anointing is what makes all of this possible. We see this exemplified in the ministry of Jesus, his anointing. Acts 10.38, our text, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So I want to draw your attention to two of those words, Holy Spirit and also power. Again, Jesus was anointed, given an authoritative office with all of the resources to complete the task for a specific purpose. And it was this anointing that gave him access to all of heaven's storehouse. First, we see that the blessing from his anointing came from, again, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Second, we see that along with the Holy Spirit also came an impartation of divine, not just power, divine power. The Greek word used there is dunamis. It's the same word our English language derives the word dynamite from explosive, the miracle-working ability, explosive power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had both of that because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus was able to, to do what he did. What did he do? He forgave sins. He healed the sick. He opened the blind eyes. He caused deaf ears to hear again. He made the lame to walk. He delivered the demon-possessed and even raised the dead. Why? Because he was anointed. He had legal authority to do what he did. That's important to understand. Those that serve in law enforcement, we have several in our congregation, they are given an authority with that badge to be able to fulfill the tasks they've been given 
to fulfill. What stands behind that badge is not just how big or small the man or woman may be, but all of the department, all of that city, all of the nation, to whatever degree that they fulfill law enforcement responsibilities, they have the arm and the strength of that government standing behind them. And Jesus, his anointing, right, his position, his authority, was the arm and the strength of God the Father behind him. Jesus, in human form, was only one man. But yet, because of his anointing, because of the authority, it was more than one confined, restricted body. All of the resource of God the Father himself stood behind every word Jesus uttered. Every prayer he prayed. And the same is true for us if we know and love Jesus Christ personally. The anointing sets people free. And that's honestly what this world needs. There's too many people trying to live and exist in life without God's touch. They try every kind of coping still, every, every kind of mechanism just to try and survive. I don't believe God has called us to survive. I believe he's called us to thrive. I do with all of my heart. We're going to see that a little bit further in this message. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 27. The prophet Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says these words. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the what? Anointing oil. The anointing. Yokes destroyed. Yokes removed. Bondages taken off of people. You see, Jesus was anointed to take back everything Satan had stolen from mankind in the garden. There was an old worship song that came out during the Pensacola revival. I actually went down to Pensacola. I think my daughter Heather and other daughter Kelly came with Cindy and I. And there was one song that Lyndall Cooley did. He goes, I went to the enemy's camp who take back what he stole from me. That's what Jesus did. He went to the enemy's camp to take back what was stolen from Almighty God. God was fighting. And fending for his sons and his daughters. You, me, those of you online, those that came before us, those that will follow us. Jesus came to take back what was stolen in the garden. The anointing sets people free. And it was this anointing that empowered his message. No one ever spoke like Jesus. No one could form the words Yes, there had been eloquent speakers that many had heard during their lifetimes. But when they heard Jesus, his message was different. You see, the anointing of Jesus confirmed the message of Jesus. So it wasn't just a good story. But when he spoke about the sick being healed, when he spoke about sins being forgiven, when he spoke about bondages being broken, addictions destroyed, and lives and relationships restored. He not only shared that message, he performed it. God showed up and authenticated the message of Jesus with the anointing. 
You see, when we're faithful to do what God says, He will always provide. Do you know why we have a children's wing that doubled in price and it's paid for in cash? Because God always pays for what He orders. Amen? Hallelujah. Whether it's a financial need that you might be facing, a physical need. I've had the enemy several times attack my physical body. And my God, I can say like David, my God forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. Oh, hallelujah. God honors his word. The anointing accompanies the message. And that's what made Jesus different. He just wasn't a good speaker. I think in our modern day and age, we have a lot of, you know, people who are very good in, in, in sharing a message. But where's the power? Where's the power? I just don't want to feel good. I want to encounter the miracle-working ability, the life-changing, demonstrating power of Jesus Christ. I've experienced that, but I'm not content with where I am. I have a four-letter word that's always in my vocabulary when I talk to God. It's called more. More. And you know what's great? God always has more. God always has more. There's always seconds, thirds, fourth. In God's presence, that's the only place you can't overeat. I know a lot of us will be planning to overeat through the holidays. Somebody say Amen. Then you have to know when to draw the line. But there is no line when we consume that heavenly manna, the Word of God, the presence of God, the anointing of God. We need His anointing. Hallelujah. And that anointing accompanies His message. You know, His message is simple. Look at John 10.10. Jesus made it very plain. He said, the thief, speaking of Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy I have come that they, that's you and I, they may have life and that they, he's talking about us again, may have it more abundantly. That's excess, abundance. More than enough, El Shaddai. Jesus came to restore that which was broken. That's us. But even this world is broken. The geology, the atmosphere, everything has been affected by sin. Jesus came not only to, to restore that which was broken, he came to replace death with life. That's why, again, I have come that they may have life, not death, life. Everybody say life. May have life and have it more abundantly. His message was not only simple, his message, it came and still comes with benefits. Those of you ever looking for a new job, one of the things you ask about, well, what's the base pay and what are the benefits? There are benefits to serving the Lord. Acts 10.38, we see it. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. His message came with healing, benefits of healing. His message came with the benefits of doing good. That word good in the Greek actually means reflecting the likeness of God. So he brought acts of kindness. That's why he fed the multitudes. That's why he, what he did for children. All, his, all of the life of Jesus was a demonstration of the goodness of God. David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Jesus released the goodness and the mercy. The woman who was 
called in the act of adultery. He forgave her sins, but he also empowered her to be free from that sin. That's why he said, hey, you're free. Go and sin no more. You know, in our modern day and age, many religious organizations, not all, but several, you know, because they have denied the authority, the anointing, they're preaching, you know, God's forgiveness, but, well, you're forgiven, but one day you'll change. Just hold on till you get to heaven and you won't have to deal with this anymore. You'll be different then. Hey, whom the sun sets free, Scripture says is free, is free, present tense, indeed. You know that word indeed in the Greek means no strings attached. There's nothing holding us to sin anymore, to sin anymore if we know Jesus. But we won't walk in these, again, benefits come. We won't walk in these benefits unless we know what they are. Unless we are really seeing what God has said about us and embracing it. You're not going to get that going to church once a month. You're not going to do that reading your Bible every now and then. Just as we physically need to eat to stay healthy, spiritually we need to do the same. And that will feed our faith and that will bring us to that place where we begin to have that confidence and believe what God says. That means even in the transformation of our lives. I once was blind, but now I can see. God wants to open spiritual eyes. God wants to break chains. He's the chain breaker and the miracle maker. Somebody say amen. His message. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Mm. I have found the blessing of heaven breaks the bondage of hell. There's a way out. There's a way out, but you got to be all in. Can't be part in with God. You're either all in or you're not in at all. The blessing of heaven breaks the bondage of hell. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why all of the preparation, this is why you've been going. The gifts that you give to one another symbolize the greatest gift of all that was given to us by God the Father. The star you place on a tree symbolizes Jesus as the light of the world. Gathering together to celebrate his birth is the same as you celebrating the birth of family members and loved ones, even your own life. Only this is celebrating the miracle that would change history and eternity forever. I like that word, forever. That means we won't have to deal with this ever again once the plan is fully realized. Right now, we're in mortal bodies. But one day, Paul says, this mortality will put on immortality. This corruptible will put on incorruptible. One day, when the final work of the cross is realized, the glorification of our bodies, our soul and our spirit, the work of God has been done there. But our bodies right now, they can still break down. There are times, and the reason the gifts of the Holy Spirit are necessary, they come as an intervention because of the effects of the fall throughout the world. And every human being is affected by it. But one day, when sin and, or when Satan is done away with, he's thrown into the bottom of his pit, and then eventually into the lake of fire. One day, when all is said and done, when the rapture of the church happens, Scripture says, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive will be caught up in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. On the way up, everybody say the way up. 
on the way up, our bodies are going to be glorified. They will become supernatural bodies just like the body of Jesus when he was resurrected from the dead. He wasn't just raised in spirit and soul. His body was resurrected, untainted now by sin. There is no avenue, no access into his physical body, his mind, or his spirit. And the same will be true of us. Every benefit because we are joint heirs with Jesus. God the Father took care of once and for all his family. And it all began in that Bethlehem stable 2,000 years ago. A Savior will be born who is Christ the Lord. The anointed one. The anointing making his presence possible. Oh, that blesses me. John 3, 16 says it all. For God so loved the world. This is, this is what motivated the Father's heart. You're the world. I'm the world. Those of you watching online, you're part of this promise. Those that preceded us, or, or preceded us and those that will follow us, they're the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting eternal life. God never wanted anything to separate him from his image, his sons and daughters ever again. So he allowed that which was breakable, that which was created to be broken once more so that he could send his son, the unbreakable, to be broken for us. When we celebrate communion, his body was broken for our brokenness. The unbroken was broken so that we could be restored. That's the love of God. And this everlasting life, you know where it's found? My closing point. In his presence. In his presence. It, when Jesus appeared, what, or not when he appeared, when the angels appeared, what did they say? To the shepherds, they said, his name shall be called what? Emmanuel. The prophet Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Emmanuel translated means God with us. God with us. Look at the last four words of our text, Acts 10, 38. It says, God was with him. With who? Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. God was with him. Before the fall, God was with man. After the fall, God was separated from man. And that's why he sent his only son, Jesus. He wanted that relationship to restore that what is broken so that we will never be separated, never deceived, never stolen from by the thief ever again for eternity. Jesus came to restore the breach between man and God. Have you ever seen that, uh, that, that picture where it shows two areas and then there is, one is depicting a fallen man and the other is depicting God and then the cross becomes that bridge in between the two. That's what Jesus came. Which in turn, you know what it did? It restored God's presence so that we could have that relationship and the joy that's within that relationship Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In other words, there's no sadness, there's no grief, there's no sorrow. Only that which is righteous and holy 
and pleasurable to God is in his presence. And that will bring us not just joy, but overflowing abundance, fullness of joy. That's why it's imperative that we spend time with him. Why? Because when we spend time with God, we bring him joy. And when he's happy, he makes us happy. He blesses us. We don't do that out of selfish motivation. But hey, my kids will tell you growing up when dad's happy, you know, everybody's happy. Whenever they wanted to make a request to me, they would always feed me first. My wife would say, feed, feed your dad first, then ask him. Then my belly was full. I was happy. You know, when we feed God our praise, our worship, we're not manipulating him. He can't be manipulated. And honestly, I knew what was going on. But I just like getting the free food. And God, when he receives our praise, when we spend time in his word, time in worship. I always tell people, you know when Paul says, pray without ceasing to the church of Ephesus, it doesn't mean you just drive around and nobody can carry on a conversation with you because you're constantly praying. Well, I can't get a word in edgewise. I, I can't talk to you right now, Heavenly Father, praise the Lord. I'm praying incessantly to the Lord. Hallelujah. Leave me alone now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, that's, that's not what it means to pray without ceasing. It's an attitude, a heart of prayer. When I drive, I, I think of the presence of God. You know, when, when, when my wife and my family are around, we're having conversation. Then when I'm alone, I... I'm always talking to the Lord. I share with him like I would with Cindy. I say, Lord, this is a beautiful day. Look at that sunset you made. Look at that. I even thank him. I say, Lord, thank you. It's green light Saturday. I didn't get one red light coming down the road. And, and not that we build our lives in faith around that, but I'm just having conversation. Sometimes it's not life-changing. It's just relational. Are you hearing me? That's what it means to pray without ceasing, a heart and attitude of prayer. We're just aware of his presence all the time, and we talk to him. You ever say, Lord, give me wisdom with this? Every message I prepare, I say, Lord, just, just give me wisdom with this. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? And he tells me. He tells me, and he'll tell you too. When you're on the job, if you're working with a complicated situation, ask God for wisdom. Say, Lord, I need your wisdom with this. Help me. Those of you in sales, ask God for favor. Lord, I just pray you grant me favor. I'll give you all the glory for it. I will. But Lord, grant me favor with these clients, with these people. And may that favor even open the door so that just in passing conversation, they would ask me, what is it about you that makes you different? I like you. And you give them Jesus. Amen? Amen. Prayer is conversational. It's relational. So when we spend time in his presence, it pleases and brings the Lord joy. Adam and Eve... They experienced this joy overflowing before the fall. And because of Jesus now, because he dealt with the enemy once and for all, he dealt with the problem, this joy that comes in his presence, we can enjoy it once again simply by committing to Jesus Christ. I like this. What Adam lost in the garden, Jesus restored on the cross. 2,000 years ago, the purpose of Christmas was set in motion when Messiah Jesus drew his first breath. In closing, Jesus is the gift that God the Father has given. And it's imperative to understand that we know this gift is for everyone. That means this gift, his anointing, his message, his presence, they're all a part of this gift. Scripture is very clear that those who accept this gift, 
they will experience, as I've taught on these past three weeks, the epic plan, the epic promise, and the epic purpose. And all of those items are benefits of God's epic salvation He provided through Jesus. Here's the million-dollar question. If you haven't, will you accept this gift? And if you have accepted this gift, are you taking steps to access His anointing, access His message, and access His presence? This Christmas, we don't know what the new year may hold, but we know God. He's got it. He's got it. Look what men do. History is a great teacher. All of the greed that, that motivates many of the political leaders, even in our own nation. But yet, God is still in control. God doesn't rise and fall by political leaders. Political leaders rise and fall, but God's consistent. He's always the same. He never changes. Place your faith there, and God will go to the nth degree to provide for you because you're his son. You're his daughter. You're family. Christmas is really about God's family. All of his sons and daughters gathering together and celebrating the birth of our older brother, his only son. And because of what he did, we now have been grafted in. I love Christmas. I love showing Jesus. I'm grateful. Let's all stand. Father, I thank you that your presence and anointing is here. I thank you that you've taken this message and you have impacted and touched hearts and minds. Again, all I can do is speak on your behalf. I leave all of the results in your hands. But I pray that this Christmas will be different from any other Christmas for those who have heard this word. That there will be an intimacy, there will be a relationship, there will be a love, there will be an appreciation, there will be a heart of gratitude unlike any other past Christmas. Lord, I pray that this would be monumental for your people. Now I also ask if there's anyone in this auditorium who's never given their life to Jesus. They've heard about him, but they haven't committed to him. I pray that today will be the day they say yes. They make the commitment. Thank you, Lord. I praise you and I bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just pray this prayer of commitment affirmation with me, everyone. Everyone, lift your hands towards heaven nice and loud. Those of you online, do the same. Lift your hands nice and loud. Pray with me. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. 
thank you for sending your only son. Thank you for the forgiveness and restoration that is possible because of what he did on your behalf. I embrace, I receive this great salvation. I receive Jesus Christ as my Messiah. I receive His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy. I receive His anointing, the Holy Spirit. I receive, I embrace His power. Now, Lord, direct my steps as I continue what Jesus began. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. He's so worthy. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.